0: Everything's good in moderation. That's a saying that's true for a lot of things, and it's definitely true in the United States Senate. Even if our politics are getting more polarized, it's tough to get much done in the Senate without moderate voices working together to bring common sense solutions and compromise to the table. Being a Democrat in a red state, I've had to work with Republicans to get things done, and I'm proud of that, and I'm proud that compromise isn't a dirty word. In fact, it's essential um, if you're going to represent my state in the United States uh, Senate. So um, today, I'm joined by two of my favorite people for my uh, second episode of the podcast, The Hot Dish. Um, uh, Those people are U.S. Senator Republican Susan Collins of Maine and former Democratic Senator Byron Dorgan of North Dakota, an amazing public. Servant in our state, and a great uh, philosopher, I would say, and a great thinker. And so I'm going to be picking their brains to find out where moderates like me can lead and reach compromise in this Congress and to think more about the role that moderates play in an increasingly partisan political environment. Well, I am so excited to be here with my friend, Susan Collins, um, a Republican from Maine. And I do me friend. It's always interesting to me because you hear all about how he's my friend, he's my friend. And then you have real friends. <laughs> Susan's my real friend. Um, but, you know, Susan, one of the questions I get all the time, and I know you get all the time, is can you guys ever seem to work together? And so I wanted to to use this podcast, which we call The Hot Dish, um, to actually have a conversation for people who will listen on how we can actually work together and how it's worked in the past. And there is no person in the entire Senate who um, I think exemplifies bipartisanship, a a direction that's policy-oriented and not ideology or politics. You have your politics. She's a Republican. I'm a Democrat. But that doesn't stop us from getting stuff done. And so I want to just maybe first talk about how you think things have changed um, since you've been in the Senate.
1: Well, first let me say that perhaps there's something about being— a hearty person from a cold state uh, that teaches you to work together. And North Dakota and Maine certainly have a lot in common. And that's one reason that it's been such a pleasure to work with you to actually try to solve some of the problems facing our country. I will say that when I first came to the Senate, uh, 20 years ago, that there was much more bipartisanship and the center seems to have diminished over the years. And uh, at times it feels like it's melting away like the late winter snow in our <laughs> two states. But nevertheless, there is a group of us that does work together, and that is committed to applying common sense to get to pragmatic solutions to the problems facing America. And I want to reassure your listeners uh, that there is this group of us in the middle, uh, and you have certainly been a leader in that regard. That who tried to work together and not who are not interested in scoring partisan political points, we're interested in getting things done. Well, Susan's being way too modest. Um, When we were
0: faced with this shutdown of the government back in 13, um, Susan just absolutely, you know, we waited and we waited and we waited. And everybody was looking to everybody else to see where's this leadership gonna come from to pull together a group. And it came from my great friend, uh, the the female senator from the state of Maine who um, took the mantle and started inviting people in and started having Having conversations. And it really was that group that res- uh, was successful in getting the government open back up, where we all stood together against our leadership in a lot of ways and said, that we can't abide this and we are going to take the lead if you guys don't lead to get this resolved. And and Susan was absolutely eloquent. And one thing, you know, I get a lot of heat from my party and uh, from the far extreme in my party. Let me tell you, Susan gets a lot of heat from the far extreme in her party as well, but stays steadfast and enjoys incredible uh, ratings in the state of Maine. And, And so I think that from our standpoint, and Susan, certainly, Susan, your example is, you can be a successful politician and be somebody who compromises. I mean, you're a perfect example of that.
1: You know, nowadays, compromise somehow has become a dirty word, That's not been my experience. Oftentimes, sitting down, listening to what the other side thinks, being open to alternative viewpoints, not only produces a solution, it produces the better solution. And that's what both of us do. Back when that disastrous shutdown of government occurred, I remember that you were one of the first people who said, I want to help. And together, uh, we put together a group of 14 senators, seven Republicans, six Democrats, and one independent, my colleague Angus King. And we worked night and day to refine. A plan and bring it to our leadership. And you're right, the leaders weren't crazy about that, because they weren't even talking to one another at that point. But it took this grassroots group of senators to come together. And it wasn't easy, but we wouldn't give up. And due to our work, government reopened far sooner than it otherwise would have. It
0: was interesting, because we were up against the debt limit. And then all of a sudden, everybody's in panic saying, do you really think we can find enough senators to do this and i said we've got the plan all you these these are principled people they're going to stand up for the plan and i think we reopen government with a record bipartisan number of votes, but it really took leadership. And and sometimes it's easy to be the second person on an idea or the third person when you're bucking your leadership. It's never easy to be first because they'll try and shut them down. And Susan, you were first. And so let's just put credit where credit is due. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, another issue that we worked on together that is a great example. And that was the work that we did on um, making sure that terrorists didn't get firearms you know, we saw our colleagues again polarized. And you and I came one vote, one vote from actually getting something passed, which would have been a record um, uh, as it relates to gun legislation in the the
1: Senate. That's absolutely right. And both of us come from states where we have a tradition of law-abiding citizens owning firearms. And Uh, I grew up in a home with, with hunting rifles that were always around, and I've always been a strong supporter of the Second Amendment, as have you. But it made absolutely no sense for someone who is considered by our government to be too dangerous because of their links or suspected strong links to terrorist organizations it's too dangerous to get on an airplane to be able to buy a firearm. And both of us became very interested in this issue when after the Orlando shooting, and we found that the individual involved had been on the FBI's watch list for some time. And He had just gone off the watch list and then bought several firearms where he killed so many people. And what we have said is that if you're on that watch list, there ought to be, if you're on it right now, you should not be able to purchase a firearm. If you were on it within the past few months, there ought to be an automatic notification if you buy a firearm to the FBI. And I think the real difference
0: between what we did and what what was being proposed by others is a basic respect for the Second Amendment. And we were able to provide a process whereby somebody who may have been wrongly denied or wrongly on the watch list had 14 days. Um, the government would pay for the process. If they the government was wrong, we'd pay for the attorney. So, so that simple short delay which would have prevented a gun from getting in the hands of a terrorist who's on the watch list, was not a restriction on on firearms. It was simply a pause, let's find out who you are, and then give you a process to reestablish your Second
1: Amendment rights. That's exactly right, and you worked very hard on those due process uh, (laughs) provisions, and it was really helpful for me to have someone with your legal experience uh, work those out to ensure that no one was unfairly denied denied a right to buy a firearm because of some mistake that had been made. But it's also important to know that this list isn't just any list. This is a vetted list Mm -hmm. where certain standards have to be reached before a person could be lifted. And very few Americans are on this list. And that was in contrast to other proposals, which we both opposed, that were far too broad right. i i think she
0: she compliments me on my legal ability, but Susan's vast knowledge of Intel and intelligence processes was absolutely invaluable. But I I raise this Second Amendment issue because most people would say that's toxic. There's no room for any kind of bipartisan work. But when you have, have two people who sit down and say, look, our common goal is that terrorists, people we know who are terrorists, we don't want them to buy firearms legally in our country and then work through a process like we did and then come so close. Come so close to actually getting it over the finish line. It, 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 it shows you that there is no topic with the right attitude and the right ability to sit down and, and respect other people's opinion. We can work through darn near anything.
1: That's absolutely right. And I think this is a great example. And we did come very close. In fact, we came the closest anyone's ever come uh, to enacting a common sense approach to keeping guns out of the hands of terrorists who mean to kill us. Yeah. And I remember
0: during one of the debates, President Trump actually endorsed our bill. He did? Yeah, I know. I text you. I said, maybe we can get it done <laughs> now, Susan. But I want to get back to kind of the broader issues. Obviously, we have some real tough ones coming. Um, uh, one of the big ones is healthcare, And you and Senator Cassidy have had the courage Um, if I can say that, to advance a proposal that you could get behind. I know you know that no proposal that you send out is going to be immediately accepted. But we're on this path now where it just seems like we're two ships passing in the night. And it is so important. Healthcare is, number one, economically, it's important because it represents a huge portion of our economy, especially in states like ours. But but it also affects everybody's life um, in a very direct way. and And I see I see that for too long, this has been about politics and not about policy and not about people's health care. so I, I think I think I hope that doesn't
1: rip this Congress apart to the point where we can't put it back. I'm very concerned about that because I share the same goal. There's no doubt that the Affordable Care Act has some significant flaws, and we're seeing in certain states the individual insurance market just collapse, leaving consumers with fewer choices or no choices as insurers flee the market. Premiums have gone way up. Deductibles have gone way up. But There's also no doubt that there are people today who would not have insurance but for the ACA. So that's why it's very important that as we repair these flaws in the ACA, that we also come up with replacements provisions.
0: I, I, you know, and, and there's parts of your plan. I think that that make perfect sense to me. I have some ideas too. And I think we all have to admit that, that a lot of the problems that we have had has been in the individual marketplace. It's been the so-called exchanges and what do we do? Part of that, um, Problems were created by a regulatory structure that didn't work. Part of it was because people um, didn't, some states didn't um, expand Medicaid and that put more sick people, more older sick people on the exchanges, making it tougher for young people. And so when you have a conversation like you and I are having now about common understandings and fact-based you can overcome the kind of toxic nature of this place, but unfortunately, we don't have those conversations very often. So my question would be, how do we, how do we build back the opportunity to actually be honest about public policymaking, honest about, um, you know, the, the ACA wasn't perfect? But then, uh, you know, it wasn't all bad either. So so how do we uh, act responsibly? And my problem is, and I heard, and this isn't probably fair to you, but I heard uh, a story uh, about a Republican member uh, or a Democratic member going to the speaker and saying, you know, we'd like to work with you on the ACA he said you can work with me you can vote for my plan. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's that you know and I'm not asking you to criticize the speaker because that'd be completely unfair, but but it
1: does demonstrate some of the some of the concerns and problems we have here. It really does and I'm going to counter with a story on the other side. Yeah. Before Senator Cassidy and I had even introduced our bill, one of the democratic leaders went to the floor the democratic leader and blasted it. And I said to him, <laughs> You don't even know what's in it yet. The ink isn't dried. Uh, But that does summarize the challenge that we face. And I would say that Americans who want common sense solutions, those who are in the middle, have to be just as fanatical (laughs) as those who are on the far left or the far right. They need to demand that we work together and that we get back to a more civil debate in this society. Uh, Social media has been both a blessing and a curse. It's been a blessing in that it gives people so much access to information, but it's been a curse in that there's so much misinformation out there. And We need people to recognize that we're one country and we need to come together and solve problems. And that is the approach that both of us have always taken.
0: The, The one thing I always say is the most endangered species... In Washington DC is a moderate. So we're looking at two unicorns me and Susan Collins you know it, it's just tough because what makes sense to us and and you know in terms of process and how we've lived our lives is not necessarily what makes sense to other people and it's it's you know I I, I think that the ability to listen respectfully and then say oh, that's something I didn't think of if you can I try and do that every day try and say oh, Oh, wow. yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. so that 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 is problem. and And so I think if people just put check the ideology at the door and come in with their with their common sense and with their ability to analyze and reason, I think we get a lot more done. And you are one of my favorite people because that's how you lead. You lead with common sense, um but with a determination and a backbone um, and a core set of beliefs. And so Susan, I'm proud to call you my friend.
1: Thank you so much, Heidi. I could say exactly the same thing about you. And and it's always wonderful when we join forces, yeah. because both of us are very determined, <laughs> as well as open to yeah. other viewpoints. That's
0: right. And so, Susan, thanks so much for joining me. I know people really enjoy hearing some of your thoughts and ideas and uh, thinking about, well, maybe those two people should be the leaders. <laughs> It ain't going to (laughs) happen. Thanks so much, Susan. Thank you. Byron. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, we were talking about um, kind of the two big issues that we see today in this Congress, one being health care and the other one being uh, uh, tax reform, and you know, I'd like to see, you know, kind of compare your experience here as we go through pretty partisan exercise right now on
2: both of these issues. Well, first of all, thanks for inviting me to come back. It's been a while since I've been here. Um, you know, it, it, the tax reform and health care you know, are similar in a couple of ways. One, I don't think either get done if it's just totally partisan. Yeah. They're big, heavy lifts. And the only way you can get something like that done is to have muscles from all sides of the spectrum helping. Uh, I was thinking back in 1986, the last time tax reform was done, we, Ronald Reagan called for tax reform in the campaign. Dan Rostenkowski, a big, gruff, huge Chicago pal, was chairman of Ways and Means. And, and the fact is he said we're going to do tax reform and it's going to be bipartisan. And the, he had the Treasury Secretary sit in the first markup of the Ways and Means Committee, which is unparalleled. But we wrote a bill that brought the rates down to 28 percent, and it was bipartisan. It's the only way you can really lift these, these heavy legislative lifts. Now, by the way, I, I would suggest a new title for your podcast. I'd go all the way and make a tuna noodle hot dish. That's, that's, for, that's just for me now. We'll see if you can compromise on that.
0: Oh, We, we like to – you know, we don't grow tuna. In North Dakota, so if we're going to do this, it's going to be tater tot, hamburger hot dish, because yeah, those are but, two products, North yeah, Dakota Yeah, but putting noodles on yeah. a lot of
2: tables, Heidi. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we're working through it. We'll take that under advisement, because okay, okay. I'm a compromiser, so I'll at least you consider your suggestion. um you know, we're, we're in this, uh, you know, you were a tax commissioner. I was a tax right. commissioner. I, we like to think that um, we, we had a great background coming to the United States Senate on tax. Um, and, and we also know uh, and could see what overtaxation would do to a business, what overregulation would do right. to a business. But this, I, I'm deeply troubled by the take it or leave it direction that we're headed in, in this Congress. And so since I've been here, if you look at the first Congress, we didn't do much because people were afraid to vote, and that I, I worked very hard to try and open that up. The next Congress, we did some easy stuff, and now this Congress is, is partisanship on steroids near as I yeah. can tell and you know healthcare healthcare is not something that you can do without debate but yet we're looking at a healthcare reform with two two hearings in the house one in ways and means and one in science and technology and and no hearings in the senate as we understand and you know how do how do how how would you what advice would you give me in responding to that or trying to change that outcome?
2: Well, you know, the, the bill that was just introduced, it looks to me like it's going to cost more and cover less. I mean, that, you know, that's not exactly the right approach on fixing health care. But with health care, uh, also tax reform and so on, the only way it gets done is to find, find areas in the middle where both political parties and people from both parties can contribute to a beneficial result. You know, I, I've watched a lot of this for many years in the Senate. It is so comfortable and so easy to stay in your lane, right? It's like being, yeah. it's like having a big blanket on a cold night. Right? You, <laughs> you just stay in your lane, <laughs> and
0: it's, then pull the covers over your head if something bad guy. It's a lot, but
2: it's, but it's a lot harder to kind of get out of that lane and go out there somewhere looking for solutions. And that, that there are so few moderates left. I mean, you have a moderate voting record. You're known as somebody who's looking for solutions willing to be independent-minded to, to, to find the best result rather than what's the political result. There aren't many in the Senate. I mean, it, it, there were a lot more uh, who were who you could count on to say, all right, let's 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 find a team to work on this to get the best of what both sides have to offer. Instead, we get the worst of what each has to offer these days because everybody wants to stay in their lane. So you mentioned at the start of this Susan Collins. Uh, I mean, I, I view Susan's record a lot like yours in the sense that um, both of you... Whenever I read about or hear about people coming together to try to find solutions in the Senate, it's always you and Susan and a handful of others. It's hard to do, but it's it's absolutely essential if you're going to make progress.
0: You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, we were talking about kind of the challenges of uh, when we shut down the government and working together to open up the government. And, you know, it really it was like waiting, 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 right. waiting for leadership to actually lead. And then it was, it was the frustration and the desperation that we felt that led to the Common Sense Caucus. And, and that was the plan that basically opened up government. But it took that level of frustration and that level of fear that, that there wasn't a solution coming. Uh, unfortunately, it's like everything else. We've got to quit doing this stuff in crisis, right? right? We've got to start talking about health care. The, the area that I would agree on, we have a problem with the individual marketplace, Young people, it's too expensive for young people to get health insurance. There's a lot of older people that are in the uh, in the risk pool that drive those costs up. Um, but, but we can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. I was reading and, and there's so many unintended consequences of, of what they're doing. Harvard Business Review just did a study saying entrepreneurship will take a huge hit if people don't feel secure in, in health insurance because they'll go find a job that gets them health insurance. Mm-hmm. And so so people aren't even thinking about that secondary level of consequence on health care because you can't have a hearing and you aren't sitting around the table the way we would do in North Dakota right. to actually say, what about this? How are we going to solve that problem?
2: The, you know, the solution, uh, health care, tax reform or infrastructure investment, the solution is is the same venue for all of them. Find middle ground that will work so that you can begin to address these problems.
0: You know, one area that you and I share a lot of concern on is, is Indian affairs, and mm-hmm. I want to thank you for all the help that you gave the bill, the Commission on the Status of Native American Children. You know, and, and what I will say all the time, and, and it's because you and I have both had, you know, tremendous personal exposure to the challenges that children confront and and feel motivated to tell the stories and feel motivated to, to action. Um, I'm always struck by if we can't get motivated by saving children, what could possibly motivate us? And, you know, I even see it in Indian Affairs that, that it's getting more uh, partisan than what it should be.
2: Yeah, and that's really sad. I think the work that you have done dealing with the Indian children and the commission is, is so important. And, you know, if you take a look at all the groups in America, it seems to me the children of the first Americans are the ones who have been most left behind. Many of them, too many of them, live in third-world conditions right here in the United States, and I think the work you have done, the work that I did prior to that—I mean, to to be able to to give them hope and and lift them up to say, you know, uh, you're not alone. We're working on these things. Uh, you deserve better, and and we're gonna we're gonna do better. Yeah. But. Healthcare.
0: you know and I only I only mention that because we're talking about big things in in tax reform and we're talking about big things in health care right. reform but helping children is not a big thing it's not a big budget buster but yet we can't even build a coalition around that it has it I don't know what it would take or what issue we could actually find that kind of um uh, partisanship, bipartisanship, nonpartisanship that would, would drive us to take action.
2: Yeah. And in this case, different than any other case, we actually signed treaties, made promises, have trust responsibilities. And we said, we'll do this. We, we guarantee your health care. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, you go to some of these areas and see what kind of health care is delivered to a six, six-year-old child, who probably is suffering for can from cancer or depression or whatever yeah. it's it's pathetic and that and that's why the work you're doing I mean it's just so important we we just have to be relentless
0: yeah, the lowest life expectancy in America is for a native american mm-hmm. living on the reservation yeah, the
2: highest dropout in schools mm-hmm. you can just get on the list yeah you
0: highest know, high, highest rate of, of suicide. mean suicide is a tragedy, um, absolutely. It, yeah, but but it, it shows, I mean, you know, as much as we've been talking about that, and Susan, or, uh, Lisa Murkowski and I joined together, we formed that bond almost instantly at the first women's dinner, um, talking about what our mutual concerns are. And we actually got it over the finish line. It took a lot longer than what it should have. But, but I'm just looking for, it, someone was using this phrase, muscle memory. Mm-hmm. you know because we don't have any more moderates we don't have people who've done deals there's no muscle memory anymore and we're atrophying that that compromise muscle in yeah. Congress by more and more partisanship yeah. you know I heard a story and and I believe it's true that a, that a democratic member came to to Speaker Ryan and said, we'd really like to work on healthcare with you. We we don't agree that that everything we don't believe everything is perfect, and we want to come up with solutions. He said, well, it's good to have your help. How you can help us is vote for our package. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, there wasn't even an extension of tell me what you think. It was yeah. we're, we're we're we've got the power. We're going to exercise the power. We're not going to delay one bit to listen to a, a second opinion. And and honestly, now you know as we speak today. The opposition to this is really coming from from the right, and and so that's what happens when you try and uh, decide these things behind a closed door and not bring them out yeah. and not compromise. I mean, it's a
2: prescription for failure, yeah. and they should know. If you if you start by saying only our side can contribute, and by the way, once we're done contributing, we'll tell you what it is, and then we expect you to vote for it. It's not the way the system works. It can't work that way. Do,
0: do you think, it? Do you think Byron, in part, this is because leadership has asserted a bigger role and that there doesn't seem to be kind of sharing of policy you know, below uh, level of the committee chairs into kind of the rank and file?
2: Well, I came to the U.S. House uh, in the Reagan landslide, 1980. <laughs> Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House and Bob Michael was Republican leader of the House. They liked each other a lot they played cards together all they golfed together all they they just liked each other and they were determined that whatever the rules were they were going to make sure both parties you know they worked to the rules if the budget had to be out by a certain time then the republicans and democrats had to had to meet those deadlines or there were consequences and it wasn't our side versus their side it, it there was it was a much better working relationship and over the over the decades i think what has happened is There's become, you know, talk radio has played a role. Mm -hmm. Cable television has played a role. And these days, most people tune in to watch or listen to that, which reinforces what they already believe. And in their mind, there's very little competition of ideas because they don't hear the other side.
0: Well, how much how much do you think money and politics has played a role? That's you know, huge. catering catering to the the funders because the funders tend to be either on the right or on the left and yeah. if you make them mad then they're either going to find somebody else they're going to fund to primary members or they're they're basically not going to support your campaign. Yeah, it's
2: ruining our democracy. I mean, that's that's yeah. a fact. Unlimited money from undisclosed sources, it's it's unbelievably pernicious and injurious to our our Way of uh, uh, electing candidates, you know, in in these future elections, it's not you versus your opponent and your good ideas versus your opponent's good ideas and how much money can those good ideas attract to get the message out. It's not it at all. Mm -hmm. It's it's a super PAC that you've never heard of that likes you, based in California, and a super PAC based in Texas that likes your opponent, and then they and all this massive avalanche of money comes in, and virtually all of it is negative. Right? It's, mm-hmm. it's all to produce negative messages. And we spend billions and billions of dollars denigrating the government and denigrating candidates. And then we wonder, oh, gee, why don't people think well of the government <laughs> and why don't they think well of our candidates? Well, you know why? Because we've just spent billions of dollars <laughs> telling, telling people what slothful, worthless. indolent oafs they are. But the fact <laughs> is, and as you know and I know, I mean, I, I served in the Senate a long time and, and you're there uh, Republicans and Democrats, some of the best, most creative, smartest people you've been around on both sides. Mm-hmm. And yet the system keeps them apart. And, and you know, good for you for saying, I'm not going to be part of that. I'm going to find some middle ground and help people work on things that matter most. Well,
0: one thing I will tell you that I think is different from your, the time, just that short period of mm-hmm. time that you served eight years ago, right? Or six, six years, years ago. ago. Yeah. And, and now is that the money thing has just exploded. Right absolutely exploded and and the most endangered species in this town is a moderate somebody who says look you don't have have a license on all the good ideas let's listen to these other ideas and you know i've been trying to do reg reform and and i just you know it's it's like all of the the left-leaning saying you can't do this and all of the right-leaning say you don't go far enough and and you just want to say do you want it done or not and, and the Farm Bill, I think, is a great example because politics is not reflected in the Farm Bill. Regionalism is. You know, whether you go corn and, and wheat and soybeans versus cotton and rice and peanuts. That's, right. that, that's right. how, how we divide things. And, and, you know, we've been able to, because of a mutual survival in rural America, actually get Farm Bills done in very hostile environments. So, you know, it but but we just can't seem to find the sweet spot in other big big issues. I
2: know. I, know. I was thinking of a word that uh one of the Tesher boys from uh, Sentinel yeah. Butte, a great rodeo you know stars. Deep, one of them I was talking to him once and he was talking about a friend of his, he says, he's really handy. <laughs> and I thought of the word handy in terms of North Dakota, right? It's in North in rural North Dakota, when they yeah. say somebody's handy, that means everything. Can yeah. Do, yeah. That person can do anything, right? <laughs> And well, you know what we need are more handy people in the, yeah. in the Congress who just sort of figure out here's the problem I'm going to fix it.
0: it it's 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 um, it, I think sometimes I shock the staff because I say he's a good hand. Yeah, which just means you know he's he's Stay the fatty. kind of guy you want on your side. He's a good hand. I don't know Byron. I you know I wish we could be. Uh, I, I wish I could say these things need to happen and that will change outcomes. But what I do need to say, um, kind of in 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 analysis is this really is in the hands of the voters. And if you just vote, you know, the the hardcore, you know, ideology, you're going to get hard hardcore ideology in in government. And if you vote somebody who says, "Look, I'm not I'm not you know, I'm not this way or that way. I'm I'm for getting things done and moving this country forward, and and making sure that we're competitive in that next generation, um, uh, whatever whatever the thing may be. And and I may disagree with my opponent, um, or disagree with a mem- with another member. But I like to think I can sit down and find some right. common ground, and that common ground for, forms the basis of a relationship and the basis of change in public policy. But it's really hard to find people. And I'll give you an example: we were working on a couple proposals for reg reform um, uh, last Congress, and um, you know, changing some things for small community banks right. who have been basically because of Dodd Frank locked out of mortgage lending. So it's just been a just been a huge focus of mine, and we're working on them. And before Byron, before before we even announced our proposals there was an editorial in the new york times criticizing us yeah uh, you know how do you, how, uh, and, you know, and 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 didn't scare me because as you know not a lot of people in north dakota care what the new york times said but there were other people working on this who did care and who saw that as a potential liability and it backed people out of the process so
2: i don't uh, know yeah i mean but the key is the, the the shortest commencement speech in the world was Winston churchill's never give up yeah i mean that's kind of the key for those of us that care about good public policy you just have to keep at it <laughs> never give up
0: well you know i i i'm i'm uh, you know i tell myself that every morning and and i think people ask me you know in this turbulent times how do you stay motivated and I tell a story frequently and this is actually a story about being the attorney general and it was noon hour and nobody was answering the phone so I pick up the phone and this guy I find out he's in his 90s and he's in a big fight with his dentist who won't give him back his dentures and actually has a problem with the tombstone and so you you knew that this guy was a difficult character you know you know he's just me you know like people see him walk down the street probably turned around and walked the other direction but, you know, he's 90 years old. He was a World War II vet. And, you know, so I, I told staff, call the dentist, just tell him he's old. You know, can you give him back his teeth? And the guy got his teeth back. Now that may seem like a really small thing, but it wasn't small to not him. A small thing, no. And and so these the the opportunity that we have every day to help people in these jobs is what sustains me. But we also need to do big things for the American public. We need to have a healthcare system that works, and we need to have a farm bill that works. And so we're 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 not going to give up. I'm not going to give up, um, especially as it relates to Native American children, which is you know g- difficult, but. Um, we just need more moderate voices, and we need to encourage the public to to send us moderate voices so that we can th- get things done here. Thanks, okay. Byron.